Welcome to the Susquehanna Valley Baptist Pulpit, preaching a life worth living, abundant life in Christ. And now the message. The wife should be loved as Christ loves the church. To the church body, Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 4, a fervent charity should be salt with our love for the brethren. In Romans chapter 12, as I covered her four, in verse 14, he talks about loving without dissimulation. I'm submitting to you that to our minds, God has placed people in our life, be that spouse, be that children, church family. They are a great gift that God has given to us, yet they can be lost or at least diminished in this life. <clears throat> These relationships will not maintain themselves. <clears throat> now I would note as well, and this is going to seem a little out of place, but I want you to consider for a moment something with me. As we talk about losing God's great gifts, losing one of God's great gifts, as we speak of this topic this morning, relationships and families, etc., being a gift from God, and how important they are, I want you to take your mind back to the Ten Commandments. How many are familiar with the Ten Commandments? I want you to think about them for a moment. How many can recite them? All right. <clears throat> I have them in a convenient list in front of me. I'll help you. Do you remember the first one? No other gods before me. The second one? Shall make no graven images. Very good. Number three? Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Number four? Thou shalt keep the Sabbath day to keep it holy. So let me ask you, who do the first four commandments deal with? Jehovah God. But there are still six left. And I want you to consider a moment in this introduction that I'm giving you of relationships, be it in your church family, your immediate family, etc. I'm talking about God-honoring relationships. There are relationships I don't need to engage in in life. But listen to these next six commandments and note how they drive it, the very relationships you have. Do you remember number five commandment? Honor your father and mother that your days may be long upon the face of the earth. Is that a spiritual relationship or a physical one? It's physical. It's your dad. It's your mom. Proverbs has so much where it writes about this. For instance, I think it's in the 29th proverb. It may be the 30th, but the 29th or 30th, he talks about uh, the, the fool that despiseth his mother in her old age and pronounces a judgment upon them. Why? Because God values how you consider your father and mother. Now listen, nowhere in the Bible does it say that you have to set apart, what is it, May 8th and June 9th? Is that what, I, 19th? As fathers, you're not going to find a Bible, that's not a commandment. But the precept is there. That's what God wants you to do. That's a relationship command. What are we on? Number six, I think. Do you remember the sixth commandment? Thou shalt not kill. By extension, the idea there is murder. Who does that deal with? Well, that's a relationship one too. 
if I love my neighbor, I would never seek to take my neighbor's life from him. Number seven, thou shalt not commit. That's an interesting, that's a relationship one. Goes on to number eight, thou shalt not steal. I suppose men steal from God. I think Malachi mentions of something of that sense. But as we know, theft, it most often occurs on this side. And stealing and murder are very synonymous. I read this morning that, uh, do you remember that fellow John Muhammad? It was 2002. He, he had a vehicle. He drove it around D.C. and Maryland, him and a fellow by the name of Marvo. And that young fellow, Marvo, is still alive. He's 17 years old. He's been in federal penitentiary for 20 years. 17 they're going to retry him due to a constitutional hearing. It, may not, it, it won't change any of the results, but they're going to have to retry him to determine whether or not he was just a spiteful youth or whether he was a misled youth. They killed a dozen or more people. God cares about your relationship. And the first law that God would give man, half of them or more, deal directly with how society and particularly, I want to be specific, God-led society, believers, engage in life. Number nine is bearing a false witness. And number ten is thou shalt not covet. And Colossians, closing in on the tenth one, speaks of covetousness, which is the sin of idolatry. And of course, if you will, you could loop it all the way back up to the first commandment, and it's like a continual circle. That's why if you're guilty of one point of the law... You're guilty of all the law. How I treat people in my sphere of influence matters. If I am going to have a right relationship with God, it is incumbent upon me that I have a right relationship with man. And that's what brings us to the intersection here in chapter 4. In verse number 17 down through 32 that we've read. Now, how you deal with relationships, your spouse, your children, church folks at all, is going to come down to how you think. And there are really two ways to think about this. Look at verse 17, 18, and 19. This I say, therefore... And testify in the Lord that ye henceforth walk not as other Gentiles walk. How do they walk, these other Gentiles? Well, you speak of Gentiles in the New Testament, it can mean non-Jewish. But oftentimes it's used in the sense of those that have not experienced regeneration or the new birth. They're lost. They're estranged from God. When he's using it, he's using it in this tense. Don't be like all the unbelievers around. And he mentions something. He says, they walk. How do they walk? In the vanity of their minds. If you're writing, you're taking notes, you're putting this, place this in there. Empty intellect. Vanity. Ecclesiastes covers this in its opening verses. Vanities of vanity, saith the preacher. All things are vanities. It's something of a Hebrewism. It means trying to grasp the wind. 
Now, I don't know about you, but when my mind comes upon a passage like vanity, it begins to move through all the passages I've read over the years where that verse is used. There's so many things that are important to society today that in the scope of life do not matter at all. For instance, in the 31st chapter, you know, the virtuous woman, the last few verses, beauty is vain. Favor is deceitful. But a woman that feareth the Lord, she shall be praised. Gaining of riches, Ecclesiastes, vain. It's remarkable, the vanity of their mind, the mind, their intellect. If you get your parenting information from the modern newspapers, it's full of the vanity of the mind. If you run to the modern newspapers today or magazines or articles and blogs about how to be the better you, it will only be categorized and what the Gentile, the unbeliever knows is as the vanities of their mind. Notice I continue, he's going to give some clarity on what this looks like. Why? Well, verse number 18. Their understanding, equally their mind, their intellect, if you will. What happened to it? What's the word? Darkened. And you might write behind that, demonically influenced. Oh, preacher. What's well, 2 Corinthians chapter 4? The God of this world hath blinded the hearts, the seat of emotion and intellect of them that believe not, lest they hear the glorious gospel, light of the gospel of God. Men love darkness rather than light because their deeds are evil. Why is there vanity, emptiness in their intellect? Their understanding is darkened. It has yet to be illuminated by the truths of scriptures. Therefore, all that they're packaging and selling to you is predicated on the best of human knowledge, oftentimes at the rejection of divine truth. And there will be no gathering of truth if there is a rejection of divine truth. All education that seeks at its essence to deny the word of truth is nothing more than man's elated, exalted ways to condemn his mind to pernicious darkness. No wonder Paul, through inspiration, wrote to Timothy, ever learning, there will be those that are ever learning, yet what? You know why? Because they've rejected the thing that is different. They've rejected Jesus Christ. He continues... Their understanding darkened, their intellect being alienated from the life of God. Not admissible to. That's what an alien means. I'm not talking about someone from Pluto or Jupiter or Mars, etc. In the sense that sometimes you'll hear folks coming from one country to another and they're considered alien. What's that mean? Foreigner. Not admissible. There are rights and privileges entitled to you as an American citizen. Particularly like paying taxes. That's a right and privilege. Did you know that? The American government would have you do that regardless of where you live. 
And I'm always interested on that tax document where it says your lawful and unlawful income. Who fills that part out? That's your right and privilege. The right and privilege, come November the 8th, to vote. Now, good Canadian folk vote in their election, but are, do they have the right and privilege of voting in the U.S. election? No, it work the same way. No admittance. Here in the scripture, they have the vanity of the mind. Because of that, their understanding's darkened. They're distanced. They're not going to comprehend or understand or even accept God's command. And he moves on and he talks about ignorance. It's almost a refusal to know. And here's the interesting thing, because of the blindness of their heart. That word blindness, it's a beautiful phrase. It deals with systematic callousness. It takes you back to Timothy again when he talks about their conscience being seared. Repetitive refusal is what hardens the heart. If we want a human picture, go to the book of Exodus and look at mighty Pharaoh. Not by a long shot will he ever accept. Why? His mind was, ali- uh, his mind was darkened. He was alienated. No admittance to the things of God. He would not receive the light and there is a coupled, continual layering of his constant refusal to accept God. And it put him in a place where everything he did, he did at a direct repudiation of who God is. Then notice verse number 9, the result. Who being past feeling. You know what that has the idea of? They're not even sensitive towards it anymore. This is where you get the idea that you can just kill babies. You know, I read an article, and I know this isn't the same to life, but I read an article some time ago that back during the 60s and 70s, it would have preceded Roe v. Wade, so it would have been back during the 50s. There's a fella that he, he got mad at this woman, and he killed her, and she was pregnant. I'm sorry. He tried to kill her. He didn't kill her, but he killed the baby. And the state of California passed legislation shortly after that that if anybody was to kill a baby, that it could be man, so it could be murder charges brought up against them. And then we legalized Roe v. Wade, and all of a sudden it's not murder anymore. You want to know why the world's so confused? How they can engage in things that seem so harsh and horrific, yet lose no sleep over it? You want to know why the world values the life of the unborn bunny and snow owl and not the unborn baby? Verse number 17 and 18 and 19 give you clarity into that. They've given themselves now over to lasciviousness. Licensed filth. The wicked lifestyles that exist and they're, they're just... Yeah, I, I was watching a news broadcast with Valerie just the other night. And it broke for commercials. And I realized they got to pay for their billing because I'm not paying for it. And here it was a Sheets commercial. It was the most godless commercial that a gas station could have ever produced. And this is Sheets. Where do you get that way? That your past feeling, what's the scripture say? 
giving themselves over to lasciviousness, allowing themselves no inhibition of morality at all to work all uncleanliness with what? Similar word to covetousness. When it comes down to keeping the gifts that God's given you as it pertains to your children, it pertains to your family, it pertains to your relationships you're going to have in life, you're going to have to adopt a mindset. And your mindset will be 17, 18, and 19, or to be 20 through 32. Notice the change there in verse number 20. But ye have not so learned Christ. If so be that ye have heard him and have been taught by him, as the truth is in Jesus, that ye put off concerning the former conversation the old man which is what? Corrupt, worthless, and bad. According to the deceitful lust, and do what? The key is the very next verse. What is it? The very next verse? Renewed in the spirit of your mind. If you want to keep and maximize the gifts that God has given to you, you have to choose a mindset. It will be the natural man or to be the supernatural man. It will be the mind of Christ or to be the mind of this world. It will be a mind that is focused on greediness, callousness, uh, apathy, lasciviousness, evil, blindness, or to be a man that is renewed in the spirit of godliness and true holiness that is predicated in the following verses. Now, I do not have as much time to deal with verses 24 through 32 as we did verses 17 through 19. But at this great intersection, there are a few things that as a child of God wanting to maximize my marriage and my children and the relationship that I have within the assembly of people, there's just some things that I've got to not do and some things that I've got to do. It's interesting to me that we spent some time on the Ten Commandments and some of the prohibitions in the Ten Commandments are found in this very chapter as well. For instance, verse 25, put away lying, speak every man truth to his own neighbor. Verse 29, let no corrupt communication. Was there not a prohibition in the 20th chapter of Exodus about my speech? Yes. You can look in the text. You can drop your eyes down to verse 28. Let him that stole, let him... Well, wait a minute. What if it's legal theft? Let him that stole. What if everybody say you deserve that? Not what yours, but you deserve it. Because you're special. A teacher told you you're special. Your parents told you you're special, so you live alone. And you now have convinced that you're special. You deserve what you want. Is that the mindset that's going to please God? I can take it. I'm allowed to let him stole still no more. Notice the continual prohibition from Exodus chapter 20. Thou shalt not Still, there's another one here. You can draw your eyes up to verse 26. 
be angry and sin not. And down later to verse number 30 where he talks about malice. Deep-seated anger is what malice has the idea of. And often cases, one of the end results of anger and malice is a loss of control that ends with the loss of life. One of the wicked things in our society is where there is this manipulation to hate people. It's awful. And it's on, to some part, both sides of the political spectrum. Supreme Court doesn't rule your way. Go get a gun and walk down a Supreme Court's neighborhood. If this doesn't go your way, shoot somebody. Listen, that ain't a gun's fault at all. But it's driving at the natural proclivity of a darkened mind. And the further our society gets from any moral biblical principles, the more Christians have to stand up for rightness in relationships and godliness and true holiness. Our society is a terrible intersection right now because the loudest voices are proclaiming the wisdom of 17, 18, and 19. And their mind is darkened. They're full of lasciviousness and licentiousness. And their heart is callous towards the things of God. There's some things to stay away from. Number of them, verse 26, anger. Verse 28, selfishness. Verse 29, ill speech. Your speech matters? Yeah, yeah, it matters. Personally, sometimes it's an easy thing to consider of how the more familiar we are with people, the less polite we seem to be. You ever have that problem? I'm not asking for a raised hand. <laughs> it's easy that way. Notice, if you will, verse 30, 31 and 32. There's a series of them. Let all bitterness, acrid attitude, all bitterness. The expectation been foiled. The man that you married turned out not to be Prince Charming. He's more like the frog. And you're mad about it. Your children didn't meet your expectation. It's interesting, isn't it? I'm in the midst of this myself. I can tell you where I was when my children were born. All of them, it's very easy. I was wherever Valerie was asleep on the couch. No. <laughs> you hold that child and that warm feeling of the greatest expectation of life. As a parent, you consider, I'm going to do everything I can to make this child's life in such a way that they can accomplish any dream, hope, and ambition they have. And you feel so strongly about that. And then they become teenagers. You know, I heard preachers say this once. There's a lot of truth to it. Train up a child in the way it should go. When it's old, not depart from it. Everybody believes that. Until that child starts exercising free will. 
And then though daddy and mommy cry aloud, a preacher cries aloud, the children make their decisions, and sometimes they make bad decisions. A disappointment comes. Expectations are foiled. And now deep within, that warm feeling you get it and the feeling of love. It's one of anger, corrupt communication, and bitterness. And you carry it with you. You can really tell if you're bitter. You just sit back for a moment and you think about somebody and say, what's the first thought that comes to mind? Usually if it's a negative one, something they've done to you, there's bitterness there. He says wrath, that deep-seated anger, if you will. He continues, I spoke of anger a moment ago. Notice this one, clamor, crying aloud. It's akin in some regards to the evil speaking. It's like a railing, if you will. He admonishes us in that last phrase of verse 31. What do you do? Put it aside. That invokes a number of truths. The truth that through the power of God, I have the ability in life that I don't have to be angry. I don't have to be wrathful. I don't have to be malice. I don't have to evil speak. I don't have to complain. I don't have to murmur. I don't have to clamor. I don't have to be full of bitterness. The emphasis there, be put away from you. I can choose to live to the power of God in my life. If ever there was a time to ask God for strength, and power, and wisdom, it would be during these times. Look at verse 32. And be ye kind. Circle that word kind. What does it mean to be kind? At surface, as you read it through, you could bring that to the thought that being kind means pleasing everybody. Or it gets very personal in the sense that everybody's personal perspective is indicative of what kind is. So what you think kind is may not be what I think kind is. Did you know that the word kind and the word Christ are closely related? You want to see what true kindness is? Look at Jesus Christ. Be kind one to another. Here's an interesting phrase. Be tenderhearted. You know, a tender heart can't equally and also be a bitter heart. It's tender. It's sensitive about things that might interrupt communion with one another. It's akin to the idea of pitying one another. By the way, I'm not talking about the sense of pitying where we are condescending. The 103rd Psalm, the Lord speaks that he pitieth his children as a father pitieth his, his children. So the Lord pitieth them that love him. Think of that child. I had an incident this week. It would embarrass my child, so I'm not going to tell you all of it, but uh, I inadvertently scared the snot out of one of them. I, I did. It was inadvertent. I wasn't even trying to. I, if I was, I could have done a better job. But inadvertent. And my heart's response towards that realized fear 
was tenderness. That was the initial fault. You know, that's how in some regards we ought to treat each other. I know it's difficult because the greatest adversary really in one sense to my marriage and to my parental thing, uh, responsibilities and pastoring, the, the greatest difficulty is the fact that I would have a tendency to revert back like other Gentiles. How harsh are we sometimes with each other? How critical are we? So a couple getting married once and they were going through premarital counseling and the pastor said, he said, we're going to talk about all, of, all the things that are going to cause trouble like toilet paper, which way it comes, or toothpaste, or, you know, he's going down through all this. And I've thought about that a lot. You know, if a couple is tender towards each other, it won't matter if the toilet paper is even on the roll. You with me? It won't. It still might matter if it's on the floor, but that's... <laughs> If there's a tenderness one to another. If there's a little Christ-honoring behavior. And churches would have far greater difficulty if this was how they engaged with each other. It's such an easy thing to murmur and complain. Nobody had to teach me how to do that. And somehow I could have earned a master's degree at it. Maybe in an advanced Oxford. I could teach others how to do it. Why is it sometimes we come up and we've got to have a negative opinion about why there's negative opinions? It's a lack of the mind of Christ being exposed in our heart and life. Let me have you focus on one more verse and I'll close. And I've taken it out of order so that I can conclude with this one. Look in verse 27. I want you to read it. I want you to consider it for a moment. Neither give place to the devil. I've reflected over this verse for about a month and a half now. I've come to a firm theological truth. I do most of Satan's work for him. We have the idea of that roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I've placed myself there. Satan can't make me bitter. I have the power of God. Satan can't make me a grudge holder. He has no power over me in that regard. Greater is he, John says, that is in you than he that is in the world. I have the illumination of the Almighty God given to me in a written text. I have the Creator God that I can cast all my cares and I have boldly come before His very presence. You know, make me bitter. He cannot make me have corrupt communication. He can't make me steal. But notice the phrase, neither give place to the devil. I can place myself by my own actions, thoughts, and words in a destructive place. Let me just say one more thing about this. That cunning adversary can keenly pick up when I'm not walking with God 
and has at that moment an innate ability to maximize that failure in my life. Neither give place to the devil. You have a tendency to worry. Just by simple observation, he'll know when he needs to maximize. You have a predisposition for doubt, anger. Your Cadillac mouth get ahead of your T-model brain. Words come out of your mouth that you didn't even mean. He'll make sure they're used in the most effective means to accomplish his mission. And his mission is pointedly clear. The thief cometh not, but to kill and steal and destroy. But I am coming, might have life in that more abundantly. He comes to destroy our homes, our church lives, our children's lives. And only a believer who is walking with the very mind of Christ and in submission to the Spirit of God, see verse number 30, will be effective in their labor. Elsewise, they will give place to the devil and their homes will be broken, their relationships will be destroyed, and there will be no risk of advancing the gospel of Christ nor being a light of His glorious gospel. And that is precisely what He would desire. From Exodus to Ephesians, friend, your relationships matter to God. The one in your home, the one in public, and the one at church. God-centered relationships are the closest thing to heaven that we can experience here on earth. Walk with God so that we might enjoy and maximize these precious gifts. Let's stand for our feet. Father, Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact us, please write us at P.O. Box 126-541, Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, 17112. And visit our website at www.svbcpa.org. Until next time.